Welcome back, Warriors, Tonsei, Sego, Ani, Buju, Quainin, Deloisi, Pam Palmeter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And we've talked about so many times on this podcast, time and again, this is not an easy job, nor is it a part-time job. Protecting our peoples, the plants and animals, our lands and waters is something that we have been fully engaged in since contact. And while our people have acted with incredible strength, determination, and love, colonization, has and continues to have devastating impacts on all of our nations. Many of our warriors have not survived generations of genocide. That's why honoring and supporting our warriors in the here and now, those doing this incredibly important work, is so important. Warriors come in all ages, genders, and backgrounds, from grannies passing on our languages and cultures and helping to raise our babies, to grannies who occupy the front lines of defense and help teach our youth and the next generation of warriors what it means to truly stand up for our nations. Some of the warriors that inspire me the most are the youth, our young people who take up that call, who assume that responsibility and take up those risks to personal safety and well-being in defense of our collective rights. They always respect our protocols and they support our leaders who have led the way for many generations. And today's guest is one of those very warriors. Vanessa Gray is an inspiring inspiring warrior, someone who has been speaking out against these injustices, helping educate the public, and taking concrete actions, putting all of her words into action to help protect our nations. You can imagine then how stunned I was when I heard that Vanessa had been arrested for allegedly participating in peaceful demonstrations in solidarity and support with Wet'suwet'en peoples. But let's get Vanessa in here. Welcome to the Warrior Life Podcast, Vanessa. I am so pumped to have you here. Buju Pam, Chimi Gwetch, thank you so much for having me. I know there's a lot going on for you right now, and I really appreciate you agreeing to come on the show with so much at stake and share your experiences and advocacy work. But I want to tell all of the listeners and viewers right now that this podcast, as always, should never be taken as any kind of legal advice or representing the legal position or positions of any of our guests, including Vanessa, now or into the future. These are chill conversations where we talk about our experiences and our hopes and wishes and things that we want for the future. And none of that should be misconstrued in any kind of legal context. But before we get right into it, Vanessa, perhaps you'd like to take some time to introduce yourself and where you're from. Ani, hello. 
Vanessa Gray Indigenakaz. My name is Vanessa Gray. I am from the Amjanong First Nation Reservation. I am Anishinaabe Kwe, and I'm from the Bear Clan. Thank you again for coming on to the show. And one of the things that the listeners and viewers have always sent in terms of messages, I always get lots of feedback. They always want to know people's backstory. How did they get to where they are today? And I'm hoping that you can share a little bit about your journey to where you are today. My journey started at home in the Amjadong First Nation where I was uh, born and I grew up on the res. And while I'm so nicely close to the, the water, the river, the lakes, and feeling like that sense of community that we all feel from our own uh, reserves or towns and where we hold our families close. We're also known for Canada's oldest petrochemical uh, facilities. And it's been since the beginning, Anishinaabe people have been dealing with the industrial genocide that I felt introduced to at a very young age, not because I could see the pollution, but because I was able to feel that something was wrong. And that's the experience of my whole community is the health impacts that are more felt. And I think it's very impactful for people who are not from to see the pollution, actually, because I would just grew up around it and just thought it was like normal and not really understanding that it's very unsafe for petrochemical facilities to be rusting, to be spilling and to be releasing as much as they do. Really, uh, some of your advocacy and grassroots community-based work really was a result of being surrounded by what's known as Chemical Valley. And you must have felt really a strong sense of trying to do something about that. When I became more aware of my own identity as an Anishinaabe Kwe, um, and to be like actually presented with the science of uh, climate change itself, it was enough for me to understand that not only is it like our responsibility to take care of our, our environment anyway, but there's actually uh, a deeply rooted role that I play because this is my land. And, um, and this is what I'm here to protect. Like I'm from Mi'kma'ki, the East Coast, and when I moved to Ontario, I only heard about Chemical Valley because of all of the work that you were doing with other people. You were speaking at universities, at community events, you were doing lots of public education. How important is public education on these issues? It's, it's a bit like going back to... Um, how I came into the understanding of the fact that the solution is action itself and my felt and lived reality of Chemical Valley 
is an important and key expertise to this whole issue. And this is for every Indigenous frontline community constantly under attack by these companies that, on top of intergenerational trauma, is in itself a key experience and reality that it takes to get this whole climate chaos issue under control. Because that's where these industrial roots begin. Unfortunately, they begin next door to our communities. They begin with just like the loss of the necessity of clean drinking water or um, clean air to breathe. And this is what we all share. This is what we all understand to be true because it is, it's its, its own outlook on Canada itself. And we obviously have to all do something about this, but I don't think the real understanding of um, the issues can be understood without the Indigenous frontline reality. The way you advocate and educate and take action is profound. It has such an impact on people. For example, for anyone who doesn't know Vanessa and all of her advocacy on Chemical Valley, she has done something called toxic tour. If you could talk about what happens on a toxic tour and why you think it's so important that you do them. I think people have the privilege to not have, for one, like, seen or feel Chemical Valley up close and personal. <laughs> and and like I said, the infrastructure is old. It's only getting older and getting more dangerous for every one of us in that area, including Sarnia. And it's such the visual contrast of environmental racism in itself. Because like I said, these these companies and their infrastructures are just on the other side of the fences from our homes. And, and it's a historical look on Canada and Canada's relationship with the oil industry. And so you could get a pretty good understanding of industry itself by just like looking at it and... It's such uh, an intense and rich history that's like ongoing and that we still like struggle with being so close to uh, these infrastructures. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me when I was following your work several years ago around Chemical Valley is that we're not just talking about one or two buildings or maybe three or four companies. The last information that I read from you is that it was like 63 petrochemical plants. It, it, is it that many? It's high emitting facilities, but yeah, it's uh, it's one after another all around Amjadong. And what are some of the health impacts of that? Unfortunately, there isn't like enough of an understanding of what exactly the health impacts are. But I can say that there are known carcinogens being released and sometimes spilled in high quantities. And just from a little bit of information from a type of chemical, it is a cancer-causing chemical and that there is no like safe amount to be exposed to. Um, 
So things like that is something that a study probably wouldn't tell you because it's just not available. But I could say that as a community member, there are high rates of cancer. There has been people dying young from things like leukemia. And the young people often suffer with things like respiratory issues. So relying on a puffer was my own experience. And and there, I think there's just a general sense of uneasiness and fear from the, the high rates of chemicals being spilled sometimes and released. And so that often leads into sheltering in place mm-hmm. and not being able to rely on a real emergency plan when that happens. I just can't imagine like the every time I read something or heard about you speak, I just couldn't believe the extent to which your your community is literally bombarded with all of these with all of these companies, but it's not just Chemical Valley that I've seen you take action on. I've also seen you speak out uh, uh, against the Enbridge pipeline system of pipelines as well. Can you share a little bit about that? So there are a number of different companies in the area and there is a Enbridge terminal in Sarnia as well. And this goes back to relating and working with other communities impacted by the same companies that are based in Sarnia, because a lot of them, if not most of them are. I did take part in a direct action against Enbridge's Line 9 when the company was applying to reverse and increase the the amount of product in the pipeline, but also expose like our waterways to Canada's tar sands. So that was the first time I was arrested. I locked myself to the pipeline valve after it was turned off. And those charges ended up being dropped. And we settled on a a two-year like peace bond. And that was like my first time in the legal system in that capacity. I remember there was so many community members and student groups and everybody rallying behind you, calling for those charges to be dropped because you, what you were doing, you were engaged in peaceful action to stand up and protect the human rights, environmental rights of the planet and the First Nation rights all around. And we were all very much in support of you and glad to hear when those charges were dropped. Like I said in the introduction, I've followed your work for some time now, and you always seem to be busy advocating, educating, and taking action at every level, community level, social media, you name it. And what I admire most about you is that you rally people to take action, not just get informed. Why is that critical component of the call to action so important for our social justice movements? I think that not only is it important to take action, but at a point where Canada can speak of reconciliation at the same time, as finding the bones of children in the properties of their residential schools, this violence is just ongoing. 
And we are still not safe as indigenous people. We are not safe to be on our own land. We are not safe to do what we have every right to do. And that's how we can assert what is truly ours. And we do deserve this to feel safe on our own land. Yeah, exactly. Especially with all of this important community-based work, we should all feel safe. One of the things I know, you, like you rally people very effectively from First Nations, Canadians, like all different kinds of social justice groups and movements. And things have changed several decades ago. Sometimes working with non-Indigenous peoples and groups was a bit frustrating because they always took the lead. They didn't always work with us. It was only their solutions. But I've seen a change, especially in recent years, and they've come to be an important part of advocacy, whether it's advocacy for the environment or for human rights or Indigenous rights, any of those things. How important is working with different groups, whether it's Black Lives Matter, Stop Asian Hate, human rights groups, anti-poverty groups, environmental groups. How important is it that we work together in solidarity on these issues? It's so necessary that we all, that we all respect the land because the land gives us everything. And so it's just like, common sense to give back and to respect it. And I think it's important because as in our own and how what we are fighting for is not so different than wanting a future for all of our generations. And I think that's the connecting part to to shutting down pipelines, to taking that chance a future back for all of us. Yeah, because we're all implicated. At the end of the day, Chemical Valley is going to first and foremost impact your community right beside it. But it's not like the chemicals just stay within their little fenced areas. They go into the water and into the air and into the earth and, and all of that other stuff. So it's really in everyone's interest to work collectively. And I really admire how you're able to do that. Here you are, I think one year you were, I can't remember where you were going, but you were a student having to do your own coursework, having your own responsibilities, but you're rallying all of these other people to take action. That must take a, a lot of time and effort. Yeah, and it's not convenient. <laughs> it's not convenient to be in the community on the grassroots level. It is not cheap. It's not easy. In fact, it's so frustrating <laughs> to do. But the point I have <laughs> is that, again, it is nothing but necessary and like a lot of love for our future generations and our past warriors who have done everything they could in their own lifetime. And we are so lucky to have those of us who are able, who feel like, who feel good, who aren't sick. There's a lot of things to be grateful for. And to use that time, the time that we have to be effective and try to be good to each other in that program. Again, it's another one of your qualities where you are making those sacrifices for our collective benefit. It's one of the themes I hear on this 
podcast over and over with all different guests that being a warrior is first and foremost about love, love for yourself, your community, other communities, our nations. Like it's it's always about standing up for what's right, helping to protect people, helping to protect planet. And I think that's the thing I admire most because I know how much sacrifice and risk that it takes. Look, you were already arrested once and those charges were dropped. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today is because you have been arrested again for allegedly participating in a peaceful demonstration in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en. But because the issue is before the courts and we certainly don't want to give any of them any fodder, even though we've said that this isn't about legal positions, I, I want to get your perspective on why it's so important that we act in solidarity also with other nations. So Mi'kmaq stand in solidarity with Mohawk or Kayankahaga, and we also stand in solidarity with the Anishinaabeg and Wet'suwet'en and Chukwepmek peoples and Haida peoples. Why, from your perspective as a young person who's been actively involved in this, is it important that we're visibly standing in solidarity with other nations when they are at critical crisis points? I think acts of solidarity can look like many different things. And I think that's the easy part about it. I often feel very emotional when I see the RCMP invading Wet'suwet'en territory again and again. And what we are taught is that the land gives everything, including the medicines it takes to get through these these really hard times. And I think when people think of the word action, they think that there's a whole like process maybe I jump into and there's like a task list and sometimes it does take like literal organizing but sometimes it means I'm going to take this space whatever space it may be and I'm going to light my smudge and I am going to go into ceremony wherever I want and wherever I need to to do something to carry a, a strong to carry myself in a stronger way when they when we are under attack when any of us are under attack and even the police find that to be a threat so i think obviously it's important to take action but it doesn't have to be one way or uh, mm -hmm. another it can be in many different ways and maybe that's more speaking to <laughs> indigenous people yeah. i really appreciate the indigenous led media and and that's that's really what i would say i think it's hard it's a different situation when you're talking to non-Indigenous people yeah. because they do have their task list. list. Yeah. They do have their groups they can work with. But when it comes to nation, Canada can't define that with their own laws. Exactly. And I think you're bringing up a really important point because I get asked by young people all the time who want to be involved. I always tell them, just like you've said, there's a multitude of ways to be involved and actions that you can take and they can look the same or different at different times and sometimes not at all. Like you said, the importance of taking care of yourself, making sure that you're healthy and safe and whether that's through ceremony or being amongst your family and your friends and all of that 
or sometimes it could mean speaking out publicly. Sometimes it could mean doing research. Other times it could mean babysitting your sister's kids so she can be on the front line. Sometimes it's being on the front lines. It's, I think the important message that you have shared and so many other warriors have shared is it's just all of it counts. All of it counts, but we always have to make sure we're taking care of ourselves at the same time. And so I really appreciate that message. There is a lot of joy taking back what is ours. It's not just like alternative or seen as not business as usual, but I think I found that like when... I've been in bad or unhealthy place when it comes to organizing and activism and things like that, that there has to be some balance. And I think for like young people, like starting out with like our own traditional teachings is, is like the right path. And it's not always gonna translate well in a country like Canada. Um, in fact, it's going to look defiant, but it's it's our, like, old ways of planting seeds, like, planting manumen, the and taking back spaces can be so giving to, to so many of our communities, but carries on tradition. Young people beyond them can enjoy the rice that has been planted, the community connections that were made and taking back like those spaces again can be enjoyed by more people. Those traditional teachings of looking seven generations ahead include all of us and the young people play their part. And it's the opposite of being an individual <laughs> as a like Canadian, it's it's making connection and not distancing distancing yourself from your community. It's all about building community. Exactly. And I think your message about young people grounding themselves first in their culture and their practices and their teachings really helps ground them. I know it helped ground me before I went out into the world and did the advocacy part, did the land defense, did the demonstrations, got involved in that kind of organizing. It really helped me to be grounded in my family, in my community, in my culture. And I think that's really wise advice for other young people. Is there anything that the rest of us can do to help better mentor young people? Like I'll use like my myself as a example. I really didn't understand the whole situation after learning about climate change and like trying to understand Chemical Valley itself. I didn't know the big picture until I went to the tar sands healing walk where there is just like another process to industry where they extract the tar sands and seeing seeing such uh, an important initiative being led by indigenous mothers like women sharing like food and space and just like time to connect with each other and connecting the struggles is like what really made me understand my place because I went home and I felt alone because I knew there was more 
of people like me out there, but we were, we're all just in our own like struggles and mm -hmm. in our own communities and we're all so far apart. And it's just like really hard emotional labor to carry it sometimes because this type of work is not popular in a place like Sarnia, Ontario, where it's a lot of like industry workers and industry friendly spaces and not very queer at all. I think having space and time for Indigenous young people to be queer and like together and to feel like, like we are like welcome and safe mm -hmm. in this space. I think that's really important advice because there's listeners of all ages, all backgrounds, all genders, all histories here. And it's always good to understand it from a young person's point of view, what they need, the things that concern them, how things could be better. So thank you for sharing that. And I guess just before we wrap up, what are your dreams for Canada? What would be, what should Canada do? What would a, a a country that is truly reconciled with First Nations. I imagine what it was like for my grandpa to go to residential school and to be punished for being Indigenous. I think about the man who assaulted me because I disrupted Justin Trudeau. I think about like how my community will deal with like elders during like emergencies when like facilities spill and release. There's so many factors that make me feel unsafe in Canada that it's just hard to get through days. Sometimes it's hard to get through hours, it's hard to get through minutes. And I think Indigenous like people, women and Two-Spirit should feel safe and, and encouraged to be back on the land together that there should be like whole like departments of people working on getting indigenous people back to the land and we wouldn't be afraid to um stand up for the water like we have to take the risk to those are all super important work that you're doing visions for the future where we have guaranteed safe drinking water we can be on the land indigenous women and girls and two-spirit people can be safe to be on the land wherever they want to. These are all really important things. And I don't have to tell you all of the work that you're doing towards achieving these goals, these visions for the future benefits all of us, First Nations, Canadians alike, even our global partners, because none of us are going to be very healthy if the water's contaminated or climate change continues. And so your work is really globally important. Our, our last question is always one of the most important because this podcast is about education for action. And what are some of the ways that our viewers or listeners can support you in all of the things that you're doing? I have two GoFundMes. One is for this current case with CP Rail, and that's reached its goal, but like it's the like information about this case is just like coming out little by little. So people could check that out if they want to learn more. And I have a GoFundMe for the liberal climate rally assault case because that, it has just been ongoing. I don't 
think I could actually do this kind of work without support from community, from people who just want to do something. I really do feel this ongoing support since there was a warrant for my arrest. And then when I was actually arrested, I really appreciate everybody um, who has been like signing like petitions and donating so far and just like checking in. But I think it would help me for people to understand. And maybe this is to like the non-Indigenous listeners that like, that this, these like, colonial courts are are very triggering and like very exhausting for indigenous people and not just my case there's a few different cases going on right now of indigenous people being dragged through the courts your courts like Canada's courts mm-hmm. and so i feel like it might be an afterthought for people to to think about what it's like to continuously be going through this, even when I'm the one assaulted in some cases, and put like more like pressure on the government in whatever free time you can, because this this is like us against the RCMP, like us against the Toronto police. And this is us, like they are pointing their guns at us. So that is like what I want people to Understand. And I think that's also another powerful message for, especially for non-Indigenous peoples. As Indigenous peoples, we know what's happening, but it could be years after an issue was in the media. And there's still court cases and charges and administrative issues and costs that Indigenous peoples bear themselves. There's no pot of money where we get funded for these things. Police officers, they their unions pay for all of their legal costs. Government people, everything's covered, but not for us. So I think for non-Indigenous peoples to remember, the financial portion is significantly important, as is sharing all of this stuff on social media. And like you said, pressuring governments to stand down and respect our rights. Really powerful messages. I'll make sure, Vanessa, to share the links that you mentioned. And thank you for taking the time. I know that this is difficult. I know the work you do is important and out of love, but you can hear it in your voice how difficult it is and what a strain it takes on people to consistently be trying to defend our rights and your work is so important and you're literally a warrior for all of us. And I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you, miigwech. And thank you to all of the listeners and the viewers for listening, for taking all of this education that you're getting and then putting that into some kind of action. Your action might be all different. Some might be financial, some might be political, some might be in the media, but take some kind of action to help support Vanessa and everybody who's working on the front lines. I'll make sure to post those links and don't forget to support Indigenous content creators too, the people who are bringing you this information so that we can all work together to protect each other in the future. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag.